Welcome to Cowboy Jim's Stories Around the Campfire. One of the things I've gotten to do in my role, especially as one of the pastors at Fellowship Community Church, is to serve as missions pastor. And with that, I've gotten to travel all sorts of places, literally all around the world. I did actually take one trip that started in uh, Philadelphia and went all the way around the world. It was about a month and visiting several different places and wound up coming back, flying into New York and then driving down to home right across from Philadelphia. One of the things that always struck me in traveling like that or just some of the ways that people travel. I think one of the most interesting to me was my trips to Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea, if you don't know where it is, is above Australia. It's the kind of the eastern part of a whole big island there. Indonesia is on the west side. Papua New Guinea is an independent nation on the right side of that island. I have a friend there who serves with Wycliffe Bible translators, and she for years helped translate the Bible and now does some other things with Bible teaching and things in the villages there where she goes. In Papua New Guinea, some of the country is very high. It's very mountainous in some areas, very, very high peaks. I don't know exactly how high they go, but the main base for Wycliffe Bible translators is at a place called Ukarampa, and it is a mile above sea level. And there are mountains much, much higher than that uh, that go around them. But where uh, Beth served, especially as they went in and did the translation, was down at a place called uh, uh, Arop. Arop is a little village. It's part of Idape West, which doesn't mean anything to you unless you look at a map. But it is pretty remote. And it is right down on the seacoast and is very jungle, very hot, and very, very humid. It's just a very interesting country in so many ways. Part of the travel there is often you go by planes just because the roads are horrible if there are roads. So when I first got there, the first time I got there, I flew into Port Moresby, which is the capital city and the biggest city. And from there, I was picked up by JARS, which is Jungle Aviation uh, Service, and they flew me to Ukarampa. It was quite the flight. It was a lot of clouds. It was pretty bumpy, uh, but it was fun. I, that doesn't bother me a whole lot, and uh, it was really interesting to see that. They use uh, short takeoff and landing aircraft. I think it's called a Kodiak, and they, they were really, really neat. And the pilots for JARS are some of the best in the world. And it was really fun uh, just to be there. I spent a few days in Ukarampa, got to meet some folks there, and then went down where Beth was in Arab Village. And so I got on the airplane again and went down to a place called Wewak. <laughs> Don't you love the names of these places? Well, Wewak actually in World War II was very very significant. That was where the Japanese had their base 
of operations for Papua New Guinea. And if you know World War II history, there were a lot of battles for Papua New Guinea. There's some incredible things. But Wewak was where the Japanese were. And there's still that influence there. There's quite a, it's quite a fishing village at this point. It's the biggest town in that area. And uh, people come in for all sorts of market and things that they do there. I stayed a day, I think, just in Wewak. And then from Wewak to Erop, you can take an airplane, but the airstrip was grown over and nobody had cleared it. And so the pilots couldn't and wouldn't land there. It was an old World War II airstrip that had been put down. I think this one was by the United States. And it's there at Idape, but if it's not cleared, you can't land. So then it's a long trip over a road. Now, in terms of distance, it's not that far. In terms of time, it feels like forever. So the people there in Wewak got a ride for me on this big kind of tanker truck that was going to Idape. It was taking actually fuel oil because that's the only way that you, they can get their gas and their oil and fuel and everything. And it was not only me, it was a whole lot of other people and they just ride in the back on top of everything. Since I was the visitor, I got to ride up front in the truck on the seat, which was a great blessing. The road is maybe 120 miles. I don't even know if it's that far. I don't think it is. And the first half of it is on kind of a paved road. So you move along, but then it really shuts down. It takes about eight hours to get to Erop Village from Wewak if you're driving in that short 100, uh, 110 miles, maybe. There are, I believe, 32 river crossings that you cross. Now, these are not bridges. This is past the bridges where you just drive through the rivers. And sometimes the rivers are so high, you can't drive through them. And so sometimes people just have to wait there for a day or two for the water to go down. We got to one place and it looked pretty high. Uh, and th this is a big truck we're in. And so they had one guy, he just jumps out and he strips off and has actually a rope tied to him. And he goes walking out into the river. He wants to see if it's still shallow enough for this truck to go through. And he got there. Um, they're not big people, maybe almost chest deep. And he came back and I didn't understand, but I understood by his motions. Yeah, it's good. We, we can do that. And so I'm sitting there wondering what in the world is going on. The guy puts his clothes back on and the truck goes in and all the vehicles there have big snorkels for their engine so they can go into the water and still get air. And uh, this truck was no difference. So he plows into the water and the water comes up about halfway on the truck. But we cross it there and everything was fine. We kept going. We finally got to Idape fairly late in the day. Uh, they had stopped at one place to pick up one person, and then they went to another place, and they just stopped and got their lunch. They just bought it alongside the road. 
Finally got to Idapay, and they were supposed to have somebody ready to take me the rest of the way to Aeroth from there. And they either hadn't gotten the message or time doesn't mean that much. And so I'm sitting there and it's getting really dark and it's been a long day. And I'm wondering what I am supposed to do. And finally, these people come by and they're in a, a pickup truck, four wheel drive. They throw my suitcases in and I get in the front and they start on up the road to Arab Village. And that road is something to behold. There's one place where you're actually driving kind of like right up the river. There's one place that you have to kind of just go across these two boards across this little, it's a little river, but it really drops off there. It's, it's really a, a, a crazy road. And uh, I finally got to Arup Village. And from there, for where the road is, then you have to walk in about a quarter of a mile before you get to where the houses are. It was quite the adventure. But uh, I've also been on that road uh, going back. And one of, the, one of the rivers was pretty high. And we were in a pretty heavy-duty four-wheel drive truck. And we, the guy looked at it. And he just started going across. And, and the water was strong enough. I could actually feel the truck moving downstream as we went. And I thought, oh boy, this is not going to look good in the obituary. But we got across, but it was it was pretty hair-raising when you think about it. The first time I was there, I'd stayed at Aerop for several days, got to meet a lot of very, very nice people, wonderful people. Uh, some of them are working on the Bible translation uh, many of them uh, have only a 10th grade education, but they are so good with what they do. Uh, some of them had told me this story that they'd been in a tsunami that had wiped out the original Arab village. And so everything moved. There were like 300 people killed that day. And I talked to a couple people who were in it, who remembered the whole thing, and they told me their stories. It, it was very sad uh, to hear that. And then what they did was so brave in trying to help people. When we were ready to leave, found out the road was so bad between Arop and Idape that they said, there's no way the truck's getting by. And there was one other guy there and myself, we had to get back. And so they finally arranged for us. We went to another village down the road a little ways. They arranged for us to get into kind of a canoe, kind of a boat sort of thing with a motor. And so we went down, first of all, this stream, and then we get into this big kind of lake and cross that. And there is, is the ocean and these big breakers coming. And I'm thinking, oh boy, we are going to get wet. And so the guy who's handling the boat, uh, driving it, he was so good. He angled things just right. I know I would have flipped the boat over, but he just read the waves just right, went up and over those breakers, and suddenly we're out past the breakers on the Pacific Ocean. And we drove along there. I forget how long it was. It took a, an hour, maybe hour and 15 minutes, and suddenly we're at Idape. And again, he does the same thing over the breakers, down into their lagoon, and we were there safe and sound. As it turned out, the 
airport wasn't ready yet, but they promised it would be ready the next day. And so we spent the night there in Idape. Just there was kind of a hostel there. And uh, we got a meal there that was very, uh, very typical. And then the next day, the plane was able to land there on that old runway, World War II vintage. And they dropped off the one family that was going in. And we got on the plane and went back to WeWAC. From WeWAC, I flew all the way eventually to Port Moresby. And that was my first trip to Papua New Guinea. <laughs> it is an unbelievable road when you see it. It is uh, very, very fun to see. I do enjoy flying in small planes. One time I was going to Niger in Africa. You might think of it as Niger. And we had flown into Niamey, the capital. It was my friend Ralph and I, we were going to visit missionaries there. Uh, they serve at a big hospital there. And it's an amazing, amazing work and ministry there in the middle of Niger. Niger is right at the edge of the Sahara. It's very dry, desert, and very, very dusty. And if the wind blows, you, you can get uh, a lot of dust in a, in a short amount of time. So this particular time, we took a plane. They flew us. Again, it was uh, SIM pilots this time. And again, they're very good. And we flew in uh, to, um, uh, to the, the hospital there. The town where the hospital is is Galmi. And that's where we flew. As we were coming in, after about an hour and a half flight, maybe a little more than that, we're coming in and I could tell the wind was blowing pretty hard. And we're flying in and as we land, it's kind of like the plane is coming in almost crossways uh, because the wind was blowing pretty hard. Again, to me, it was just fun, exciting to see that. But as we got down, we landed, everything was safe and sound. And the pilot said, yeah, that was pretty stiff wind. And we got unloaded quickly because he wanted to get out of there before the wind picked up. Actually, in Gaumi, there are uh, little hills, little mountains all the way around. But when I was first there, I did not know that because there was so much dust in the air. It just looked like it was just kind of flat all the way across there. It wasn't until the next day that the wind had died down and looked out and suddenly <laughs> there are hills and, and uh, small mountains all the way around us. It was, it was very uh, unusual. But um, that sort of travel uh, really is, to me, is very interesting and really a lot of fun. We flew back out on that trip and that one was uh, pretty uneventful. I've been to Niger a couple of other times, and we drove to Gaumi from Niamey. And it's a long trip. It's long. The roads are not bad. Actually, I think it's like the main highway across Africa right there. Uh, but it's just long. And uh, there are some checkpoints you have to go through that I always thought that people looked really angry with me. I don't think they were. I just think that's how they looked. Again, it's a, just a long, long, hot trip. On one time, we stopped 
because we had a little bit of problem with our our truck and had to stop and get it fixed actually we had some young ladies with us we were all going to help at a conference there and since it is a muslim country they had to be very careful what they wore they they could see firsthand even while we were there stopped at this little village to get the truck fixed they had to make sure they had their head coverings on and of course they were already dressed very appropriately for the rest of everything but they could see this is what the country is is really really like one of the things i got to do while i was in gaumi was to ride a camel one day it was the trip where ralph and i were on they asked would you like to ride a camel well sure i would like to ride a camel why not and so we did they went to a place and we we kind of rented the camel there were people there one guy was there with he didn't have an arm he was an older guy and i didn't think too much of it until somebody said you know how he lost his arm no i have no idea <laughs> A camel bit it off. <laughs> I thought, what? That can't be true. But it was. He'd uh, had his camel, and camels can be very mean. And this one evidently latched onto him and, and didn't really bite it off, but it hurt it so bad that he had to have it amputated. So he's there guiding everything, and here's the one camel with a muzzle on it. I was like, great, is this the camel? And, of course, that's the camel I get to ride. I was a little nervous. Riding a camel is very unusual. When you get on, it, you know, don't think like you're riding a saddle like on a horse. You get on, it's not a particularly comfortable thing. And these were just uh, single hump camels. The saddles kind of sit on there, kind of an unusual way. And then when they stand up, you have to bend the direction they're going. So they stand up, if I recall, they stand up with their hindquarters first, and so you have to lean way back, and then they stand up at the front, and you have to lean way forward so you don't lose your balance. And then we walked. We, we trotted at one point a little bit, because camels can run, but we just walked through the town and down one road and just all over. It was probably about an hour uh, in length. And by that time, I figured I'd had just about enough. It was not a real comfortable thing. But it was very fun to, to ride a camel. I got to do that a couple of times. Traveling around the world, it really can be an adventure. I've been other places. Bangladesh is one that stands out to me. Bangladesh is a very densely populated country. They have a lot of traffic. And the first time I was there, my friend Harold picked me up and we're going through this, this town and, and I just, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. It was the city of Chittagong and he was taking me and all I hear, I see this whole horde of traffic and all you can hear is horns. In fact, Harold told me at one point, the most important part of your vehicle is your horn. <laughs> And there didn't seem to be any real rules to the road. And again, Harold said, well, the basic rule is, is if, if the vehicle is bigger than you, it has the right of way. But along with the vehicles, there are all these motorcycles going, cars, some big trucks, cows walking along the road, people walking along, rickshaws going along. 
and you're trying not to run into anything. In Bangladesh, if you do hit somebody or if you run into somebody, the, the people become furious. So you want to be very, very careful in riding in Bangladesh. It was probably the craziest traffic I have ever seen. Well, there's lots of other places I've been, other stories of travel, and I'll tell you about them again sometime. Right now, I hope you have a safe day traveling wherever you go. This is Cowboy Jim's Stories Around the Campfire. I'll see you next time.